0: I'm Selena Sage, and live free is for our collective liberation. Namaste and welcome to Wisdom Wednesday. Today I will be featuring Wisdom from the Buddha. And I have to tell you that this feels like a pretty impossible task. (laughs) I feel the same way I felt before sharing wisdom from Jesus Christ. And indeed, those two men had paths with some very interesting parallels. So I should note that it has been a very long time since I studied Buddhism. In fact, it was when I was age 10 that I purchased the teachings of the Buddha and began my study of that religion while still growing up in the Catholic Church. And I do recall writing papers on the Buddha and reading Siddhartha in school, but it has been a long time since I've studied intensely. And so I hope to do the Buddha justice because this is a path that many are still on And I certainly want to honor the teachings of the Buddha as much as I can. So I did a little research (laughs) before this broadcast, and I thought that I would start by sharing the history of the Buddha, then sharing some of his teachings, providing some of my insights, which certainly are really inspired by the mystical non-dual path And finally closing with Zen which I think to be the mystical path of Buddhism. So to begin the story of the Buddha. He was born Siddhartha Gautama in what is now modern day Nepal. Back then it was part of ancient India and he was born a prince. It said that his parents were told by a prophet that Siddhartha would either become an incredible king, or a holy man. And it said that his father really wanted him to become a king, and so he kept him um, kind of constrained to the palace. And within that palace, Siddhartha lived a life of abundance. Um, Entertainment, riches, everything that he needed was provided for. And he was married and had a child all before he ever left the palace. And it said at age 29, when leaving the palace on just a visit of the city, he encountered four sites that have said to inspired him to give up the life of abundance that he was living. And indeed, his even his family. So those sites were a sick man, a decaying man... Thought to be a skull, an old man, and an aesthetic. And those sights were said to have really helped Siddhartha understand that the life that he was living was not a true reflection of reality. And they actually inspired him to look to find an end to suffering. So he left the palace and went out on his own in search of this path. And he's said to have studied with monks and learned meditation and then went the aesthetic path, which was even more extreme. And it said he was even more extreme than the extreme (laughs) aesthetics. And, you know, gave up food, water, lived the just the basic most basic life you can imagine tattered rags complete opposite of the life that he had been living as a prince and it said that he he almost died on that path and decided that he wanted to find another way that maybe there was some path some middle way between the life of excess that he had been living as a prince and that of the ascetic, which was just so extreme. And so uh, it said that he decided to meditate under a Bodhi tree until he found the answer. And he meditated for seven weeks under this tree. And it said the night before he attained enlightenment that he was visited by a demon, Mara, who tempted him with, wealth and comfort and all of his desires. And I am called to mind the story of, of Jesus who was also tempted by the devil. But the Buddha persisted and it said that the next day he achieved enlightenment and achieved nirvana, which is described as extinguishing the fires of desire, hatred and ignorance that keep the cycle of suffering and rebirth going. So through his awakening, his achievement of nirvana at age 35, completely, completely changed his life, and he began teaching. So the teachings of the Buddha are um, summarized in a few different ways. So what he described as the four noble truths are... One, existence is suffering. Two, this suffering is caused by human craving. Three, there is a cessation of the suffering, which is nirvana. And four, that nirvana can be achieved in this or future lives through the eightfold path. And that eightfold path is right views, right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So essentially, the Buddha achieved this enlightenment and his way of sharing the teachings was through describing a path by which other people could achieve it too. And so I thought I would just go through the Eightfold Path just briefly. So right view is the, um, this idea that actions have consequences and death is not the end. So to, to really understand that it's important to maintain good behavior because it can follow you in the next life. Right intention is the peaceful renunciation of life towards religious path to study. So it's, it's really having that right resolve or intention to, to pursue this path. Right speech is no lying, no rude speech, no gossip. Right conduct is no killing, stealing, or sexual misconduct. Right livelihood is to gain livelihood in ways that benefit others so not through selling weapons, poisons, or intoxicants. Right effort is to prevent the unwholesome states and to generate wholesome ones. Right mindfulness is to be mindful of Buddhist teachings, to be conscious of what one is doing, and to be aware of the impermanence of the body. Right samadhi is this meditative consciousness and development of a luminous mind, undisturbed by pleasure and pain. So those are the the steps that the Buddha outlined in his teachings. And it it really points the way to nirvana, which which again is a state of um, extinguishing the fire's of desire, hatred, and, and ignorance. So what I thought I would do is to read some of the teachings of the Buddha from this book that I had studied <laughs> so long ago as a child, uh, that I thought captured some of these teachings. So this is called The Great Discourse on Blessings. At one time, the Exalted One was living in Jeddah Grove. A certain deity of astounding beauty approached the Exalted One and said, Many deities and humans have pondered on blessings. Tell me the blessings supreme. The Buddha replied, To associate not with the foolish, to be with the wise, to honor the worthy ones. This is a blessing supreme. To reside in a suitable location, to have good past deeds done, to set oneself in the right direction, this is a blessing supreme. To be well spoken, highly trained, well educated, skilled in handicraft, and highly disciplined, this is a blessing supreme. To be well caring of mother, of father, to look after spouse and children, to engage in a harmless occupation, this is a blessing supreme. Outstanding behavior, blameless action, open hands to all relatives and selfless giving, this is a blessing supreme. To cease and abstain from evil, to avoid intoxicants, to be diligent in virtuous practices, this is a blessing supreme. To be reverent and humble, content and grateful, to hear the Dharma at the right time, this is the blessing supreme. There's many more. <laughs> I'm realizing this goes on, but I will. Um, I'll read a bit more. To be patient and obedient, to visit with spiritual people, to discuss the Dharma at right at the right time, this is a blessing supreme. To live austerely and purely, to see the noble truths and to realize nirvana, this is a blessing supreme. A mind unshaken when touched by the worldly states, sorrowless, stainless, and secure, this is the blessing supreme. And finally, those who have fulfilled all these are everywhere invincible. They find well-being everywhere. Theirs is the blessing supreme. And this is from the Mangala Sutta. So this teaching... I feel really encapsulates all of the teachings of the Eightfold Path. It's to to live in this unity with the teachings that allow one to be clear enough to reach nirvana. And again, I think this is, uh, the Buddha was trying to figure out a way to provide teachings that other people could follow to reach the state that he did. This one is called Luminous Mind. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by the attachments that visit it. The unlearned people do not really understand and do not cultivate the mind. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This, the noble follower of the way, really understands. So for them, there is cultivation of the mind. And this is from the Anguttara Nikaya. And it should be said that these different teachings are coming from different branches of Buddhism that spread to um, different cultures. Specifically, Tibet, Japan, and certainly in India. So the teaching here to me is discussing what can be called the buddha mind or consciousness it's saying that if you are not touched by the attachments that that color the mind and imagining yourself as the observer on the ways that we've discussed before the observer of this mind instead of being one, with all of these attachments that come into the mind, one can attain this luminosity, this freedom, because it's not connected to all of these thoughts and, and this flow that, that happens in the mind. So while the mind is being used, I think if we, if we consider the consciousness that is observing the mind, we can get closer to the truth here you're able to cultivate this observation, this consciousness of the observer that sets you free from all of the attachments that visit this body-mind, this person. So here's another teaching I'll read. And it's about thoughts. It's from the Dhammapada. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with a pure mind and happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable. How can a troubled mind understand the way? Your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts unguarded. But once mastered, none can help you as much, not even your father or your mother. So if we think about the Buddha's life and the fact that he meditated underneath a tree for seven weeks, the cultivation of a clear mind was the ultimate goal. And meditation is a practice to get you present, to transcend all of these daily afflictions of thoughts, feelings, and emotions. So the teachings of the Buddha are really about quieting the mind so that you can recognize what you truly are, that Buddha nature. And one final story I'll share is called The Awakened. How joyful to look upon the awakened and to keep company with the wise. Follow then the shining ones, the wise, the awakened, the loving, for they know how to work and forbear. But if you cannot find friend or master to go with you, travel on alone, like a king who has given away his kingdom, like an elephant in the forest. If the traveler can find a virtuous and wise companion, let him go with him joyfully and overcome the dangers of the way. Follow them as the moon follows the path of the stars. And that is also from the Dhammapada. And I really like this teaching because I think it illustrates the beauty of having a teacher or a guru, which is beautiful in and of itself, but also that we must continue on even without that teacher and find our way as I think the Buddha did. To me he was the king who gave away his kingdom to discover this middle path as he called it, this way to nirvana, to freedom. So his teachings are really about discipline and practice and cultivating you know all of the right things to to prepare yourself for this ultimate revelation And to kind of, yeah, to add on to that, when I think of Zen, there is, to me, a mystical way that's pointed out through the Zen path. There's certainly Zen Buddhism, which I think is a reflection of the beginning of that start. So Zen was created when Buddhism hit China, <laughs> and there was a combination of Taoist teachings and Buddhism that resulted in this Chinese school of thought called Chan, which later became Zen in Japan and I think when from my from my perspective, Zen Buddhism reflects a lot of that that early combination where you still had a lot of the rigid practices of Buddhism, that were then tied with the natural way of Zen, excuse me, of Tao. And so that combination resulted in something that still had some rigid rules and practices, but ultimately pointed to the way, to nirvana, to peace. And when, when I think of Zen, though, Zen to me is something that over time was created as this mystical way that ultimately allowed for this direct enlightenment, this direct, um, yeah, this direct feeling of your Buddha nature. And that was contrary to Buddhism and, and even Zen Buddhism to me, because those really said that it's a gradual process where you have to um, really hone these practices to prepare yourselves for that ultimate seeing. Whereas Zen allowed for this kind of instant understanding, this instant enlightenment of the the true nature of things. And I will, yeah, I'll dedicate a full episode to Zen because I'm, yeah, I have a lot of passion about it. (laughs) But I thought I would close with with a Zen story that I love. And it's a story of a man who visits a temple and he's, he's a humble man in just a simple robe. And he sits down and he puts his feet up on a holy stone. And suddenly a priest runs in and tells him, you cannot put your feet there. That is a holy stone. And so the man, very, very modest in his approach, says, pardon me, that was not my intention. Can you please place my feet where they're supposed to be? And so the priest then moves the man's feet off of the stone and moves them to the ground. But before the man's feet touches the ground, a holy stone appears. The priest is shocked (laughs) because a stone is now again under this man's legs. So the priest moves the man's feet in the other direction. And again, a holy stone appears under the man's feet. So all of a sudden, the priest realizes that he's in the presence of a holy man and he looks at the man in his in his eyes and he sees a twinkle and the man gives a light smile and says there's no place that god is not this story to me encapsulates the spirit of zen it is this idea that our buddha nature <laughs> the the being the self that's Within is indeed everywhere, and so everything can be seen as holy and this path is allows for direct pointing of I think the truth that the Buddha achieved on his own through practice and discipline and intense meditation. so there's so much to be gained from the Buddha's journey, and it's it's a beautiful path of of devotion and discipline to finding truth to ending suffering. I think that Buddhism is is a beautiful practice that naturally has this loving kindness towards others because you're recognizing the, yeah, the, the holy in everyone in the same way that that Zen story pointed to. So the mystical path is, I think, I think of it as a direct pointing to the truth that was attained by the master who then had their teachings created into a religion because Buddhism is is certainly a religion but there's but there's so much to be gained from how he achieved that enlightenment and the zen way is is I think the most natural and direct approach to doing that at any time and then certainly there can be a cultivation after that initial understanding is experienced but the the path of the buddha was one that yeah that encapsulated his own journey and putting that into teachings is what buddhism is and there's there's beauty on both ways there's beauty in both paths and i think certainly if you're prepared to follow the the disciplines of that, you know, that the Buddha set out, how can that go wrong, right? It's a very beautiful path of love, and it's one that you can gain immense peace from. Going all the way to reaching nirvana is where I feel the non-dual path gives you that direct pointing that you can actually jump into and experience for yourself. So, the wisdom of the Buddha is incredibly profound, very beautiful, and inspirational as we look to achieve freedom. I've certainly been inspired by these teachings and um, in modern times have been more inspired to better understand the mystical non-dual paths of all of these, of all of these teachings because I think they get to the heart of what these masters experienced But no matter how you choose to take the teachings, there's beauty and wisdom to be gained either way. So thank you for being here. Namaste.